Welcome in film fans. This is the SDFP, the second day film podcast. Thanks for joining us and listening in on this Wednesday, the 7th of March. I'm your host, Evan Dean, joined as always, and I think I can say as always because we're on our third pod now, Brandon Champion. Champ, what's up? I'm doing good, man. Just trying to figure out what all this white stuff on the ground is. Isn't it supposed to be March? I know. I know. We've got college hoops out in the background. We're ready for March, not more snow. We've also got the popcorn correspondent, Sam Morse, joining us. What's up, corn? Hey, you know, uh, I got a membership at Planet Fitness because uh, it works. The trick's great. (laughs) You're thinking my popcorn trick on our Facebook page, Second Day Film. You're thinking it works, but it was so unhealthy that you need to go to the gym and work off those calories. Hey, did you guys see what uh, our buddy Dan Feaster commented on the Facebook page? Popcorn respondent? Maybe (laughs) like that. Little play on words. Yeah, Yeah, we could work that in a little bit. Speaking of our Facebook Live that we did last night... There's a ton of ways to connect with us on social media. Yeah, well, uh, we talked about our Facebook page. We got that uh, aforementioned popcorn video up there right now. That's at the Second Day Film Podcast. We're on Twitter at Second Day Film. That's all spelled out. You can email us at secondayfilm at gmail.com. And you can also check out our website at www.secondayfilm.com. All right, guys, we've got a whole lot coming up on today's episode. As usual, we'll have three segments. First up, we're going to have our Oscar recap. So the 90th Academy Awards were held this past weekend. We'll check out Champ's predictions, which we talked about on last week's show. We'll see how he did. Plus, we'll go around and share our best of and worst of this year's Oscars. We've also got throwback theater. So in this segment, we're going to be talking about films from a specific year. We'll talk about one we really enjoyed and would recommend, and also one we thought was a major disappointment. And today we're talking about films from what just so happens to be Champ's high school graduating year. That's the year 2008. And today our featured review, we're talking about the hit comedy Game Night. So you guys ready? Rock on. All right, Oscar recap. First up, the 90th Academy Awards, of course, held this past Sunday. The longest award show there is out there. Three hours. Oh, it's three it's plus. A, it's four hours. Uh, it got it a... you know it wrapped up about eleven forty five after starting at eight. But Champ made predictions uh, last week on last week's show on the six major awards. He also made predictions on our Facebook page of every award. And Champ, you got eighteen out of twenty three right. That's pretty good. I'll take it, man. I'm hoping I have that kind of luck when uh, the brackets roll out. Let's talk about the ones that you predicted on last week's show briefly. We'll run through them. The big six. So, best picture. You predicted three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. It actually went to The Shape of Water, and then best director. We didn't talk about it, but you predicted Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water, and he did indeed win. Uh, Gary Oldman won for Darkest Hour. He was Winston Churchill. You got that right. Francis McDormand, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. As Mildred Hayes, you got that right. Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards. You got that right. And then your only other miss, Allison Janney, won for her performance in I, Tanya for Best Supporting Actress. You guessed Laurie Metcalf, Lady Bird, uh, and she did not win. So you were 18 out of 23 with all the awards. You were four of six with the big awards and you did pick some upsets and those didn't pan out it kind of went as we thought it would yeah well i should say that my other misses were live action and documentary short those were basically guesses on my part so i'm not too upset about missing that and i also missed best original screenplay um i gave that to three billboards like i said was deserving i also think the big sick was deserving in that uh that went to uh jordan peele and get out which certainly 
was deserving as well. That was really a loaded category. So yeah, like you said, I, Three Billboards, that was my number one movie from last year. So I was trying to be uh, consistent. I kind of suspected that The Shape of Water would win, but since it was my number one movie, I wanted to uh, you mm-hmm. know stay consistent and put that as my best picture winner. Allison Janney, also super worthy of the oh, award. Yeah. I love how she got up there and went, I did it all by myself, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Oh, she got a few laughs. And then she stopped and said, no, no, that's furthest from the truth. You know, it was really... Uh, you know, a, a cool moment for her. But yeah, I did, you did well. I mean, 18 out of 23 is solid, especially with some of those categories where you're just taking guesses at it. We're going to go around and each talk about our best of this year's Oscars and then our worst of this year's Oscars. So Champ, let's start with you. What were your best favorite moments from this year's Oscars? Well, I guess I'll just start with the first person we see when the ceremony starts, and that's Jimmy Kimmel. I, I like him as a host. This was his second year as a host. I think he does a good job sort of balancing, you know, the jokes and what it takes to actually make keep the show moving. He does it in sort of like a laid-back, easy demeanor. He delivers the jokes really well. You know, he addressed things in his monologue, I thought. The, the sexual assault allegations and stuff have been a big thing this year. He did a good job sort of making... <laughs> making fun of all those things. You know, he, he brought up Guillermo del Toro's story. And uh, thanks to Guillermo, we'll all remember this year is when men screwed up so badly, women started dating fish. I just think his joke delivery is funny. You know, when he went into the theater, the odor of marijuana, he's like, well, guess what? We have snacks. You know, that's like just off the cuff. He oh, doesn't yeah. know that's going to happen. So I, I think Jimmy Kimmel uh, is a highlight for me. Yeah, I agree. I had him on my list as well as, as one of the, the best of. How about you, Sam? What'd you have as best of for this year's Oscars. My favorite, to be honest, was uh, that Frances McDormand. Her speech was one of my best, one of my favorites. The the movement, women's activists and everything, getting all of them to stand up and look around at each other and saying, invite me into your office. and Or maybe or, we'll invite you into ours. Yeah, come on over to ours, <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, so it made a big, like, it was just a really cool scene to see everyone stand and look around. And you could just see the excitement on all the women's faces and everything and how they all turned and looked at each other. And it's like, hey, we're doing this too. And again, what you said with the Harvey Weinstein and the sexual allegations and everything, it was a very powerful movement to me yeah. and stuck out. So No, that was, uh, I mean, she was she was very excited. She was... Yeah. Uh, I would well, not want to run into her in a dark alley at no, that moment. She was a little unusual, but you're right. That speech was powerful. I had a few things, guys, but I'm going to give you this one. So Jordan Peele is the mm. first black man ever to win Best Original Screenplay. He won, obviously, for Get Out. And that was a cool moment because this movie had so much cultural significance. He was the first African-American ever to win this award. So that's groundbreaking in and of itself. And it was just cool to see Get Out win an award because I know we all enjoyed it and we all had high hopes for it. I thought the performance, so what they do, which is, this is cool. They they take performances from all the best song nominees and they they play them out on stage. Uh, The performance of This Is Me by Keila Settle from The Greatest Showman she just kind of came and rocked the house. Uh, it, it was a great performance, a lot of power. You could see the emotion. And I think that's what's cool about the Oscars when they bring in these original songs. It isn't always cool, and I'll get to that uh, in a little bit. But I thought that was another cool moment. How about you guys? Anything else you really loved? It almost seemed like, um, to your point on that, that she got so emotional while she was doing yeah. that that she maybe lost her voice for a little bit in there. And sometimes that's like, oh, no, tragic thing that happened. But she was so caught up in the moment, it just turned into like a, a beautiful thing more than anything. One thing I want to highlight is Roger Deakins winning for cinematography. Yes, um, I this guy, about that. This guy, and you could tell by people in the audience who gave him a standing ovation, you know, he's a cinematographer. That's not always the person who's getting all the pub. 
But you could tell by people in the theater the way that they reacted to him winning. But he's a legend within the business. I mean, I just got to read. He's been nominated. I didn't write down the exact number, but he's been nominated double-digit times here for films like Shawshank Redemption, Fargo, Coonan, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou, The Man Who Wasn't There, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford, No Country for Old Men, The Reader, <laughs> True Grit, Skyfall, Prisoners, Unbroken, Sicario, and Blade Runner 2049, which he finally won for. I mean, you just read that list. Yeah. How has this guy not won yet? 13 times champ. Yeah, that's how is he not one when you read off that list of films? I mean, clearly the guy's a legend, and he absolutely deserved it for for Blade Runner. That film, the world he created with sort of like the the huge holographic ads that are yeah. in the cityscape yeah. and the sort of dim light that's coming through like the landscapes and the red dust. He created like a terrifying, oversaturated, overpopulated world. And yeah. that was really the strong point of that film. Yeah. You know, we, we made such a big deal of Leo going as long as he did. But oh. now he went 13 noms before winning. That's unreal. I would like to also point out uh, Kobe Bryant. Winning an yeah, Oscar. That was cool, too. Um, and he said it was almost as great as, how many championships? Six? Five. He's won five, five, five. titles. Chase and Jordan at six. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What did you think of the whole going into the theater, uh, with Jimmy Kimmel grabbing, you know, Gal Gadot and Margot Robbie and Lin-Manuel? Yeah, that was something that I was uh, I actually was going to bring up a little bit later. I didn't have it as a worst of or best of. I thought it was it was kind of unique. It was kind of cool. It's just it's so hard to execute that in a fluid way. I, I just kept <laughs> you know? thinking of like Luke Skywalker, Wonder Woman, and Tanya Harding walk into a theater. I kept thinking of like punchlines <laughs> for that, and nothing was coming to my head. But you know, I guess it was kind of a quirky thing. It's cool for the people in the theater. My thing is the show's already long enough. Do we really need something like that? You're right. That's a good point. Absolutely. And in one more thing I do want to mention you talk about Kobe I don't know if you guys noticed they have the microphone that they can they can you know use they, they basically have someone operating it it had to raise up about six inches for Kobe yeah. tallest dude ever on that stage that's right. for sure one other thing my boy Kumel Nanjiani who was uh wrote the big sick with his girlfriend Emily V Gordon he said uh, I'm from Pakistan and Iowa two places that nobody in Hollywood can find on a map that guy makes me laugh <laughs> oh, every time he talks he so a lot on the best of obviously a lot of good stuff happening how about worst of champ what was your worst moment or worst thing that happened at the Oscars this year uh, I'm going to start by saying something we've already talked about. It's too long. I, we don't need this show to be going on four hours long. I know that they they want to give uh, proper credit to ever, all the nominees and all the award winners, and they are all very worthy of being recognized. But let's be honest, there's a hierarchy of awards here, and I think that there's ways that they could cut it down a little bit and not have the show be so long, because it does drag a little bit. Yeah, and I don't know if they've tried this before, but one thing I've thought is with some of the lesser awards, not to minimize the awards, but some of the lesser known awards or awards, maybe you just run you know, a quick update of who won. Because there were there were people winning in pretty obscure categories that get to go up and give a long speech. Yeah, and I mean, that it really I, drags it on. Yeah, I mean, I th I don't want to like sound insensitive that you know everyone who is obviously worthy of being recognized, yeah. and I think they should have a second to go up there and thank anyone who's been influential to them. You know, there's other ways to do it besides that as well. You yeah. know, I, I I don't know exactly what that is. But you know, um, it's it's the fine balance of you want to give credit to these people because they've put in their whole lives, even for some of these obscure awards. But you also have to cater to your audience and respect that sometimes, in some of these cases, they don't know any of these movies and really don't care. I think Jimmy Kimmel, it was funny what he tried to do with the jet ski with Helen Mirren. Yeah, that, whoever, that was good. Whoever, whoever, you know, speaks the least gets to go home with the jet ski. And Gary Oldman, when he goes up there, he's like, 
obviously I'm not going to win, you know, the ski. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> that, that cracked me up quite a bit. Yeah, that was good. All right, so Sam, how about you? What was your worst of for this year's Oscars? It was probably Michael Strahan taking a shot at my girl Viola Davis. I'm pretty sure he said Violet. This is on the red carpet, the carpet yeah. pre-show. pre-show. I don't know if he's come out and confirmed whether or not he said Violet or not, but it certainly sounded like that. Yeah, I mean, look, I watched a little bit of it, and here's the thing. Michael Strahan, he's a football player. He's charismatic, and he's fun, but you see those kind of moments uh, when you take somebody out of their element like that. Uh, All right, so for me, my worst of is kind of twofold. So best original song was one by the Coco song called Remember Me. Mm -hmm. I thought there were two other choices that were going to win, uh, most notably, This Is Me from The Greatest Showman. And also, I don't know the name of it, but the song from Call Me By Your Name got a ton of love. And Coco's Remember Me song won. Not only that, though, they performed it live. And I don't know if he actually does this song or if he's an actor. Gail Garcia Bernal. I don't know if I'm saying that right. But do you remember this performance? It was bad. I think it was fine. I don't think I disliked it as much as you did. It didn't particularly stand out to me as being bad. I picked that song uh, as winning. Yeah. I haven't seen Coco yet, but I, I have heard that song uh, being played. I didn't know if he I, actually sang on the song, though, in the movie, because then afterwards they brought in other people, and they did a really good job. But they just, they, he opened the song. He kind of had the first third, and it was just rough. Yeah. And it, you know. I guess I didn't, uh, you know, didn't uh, notice that as much as you did. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah, so that's my worst of. Um, nothing, you know, terribly awful. But how about you, Champ? Anything else that you didn't like uh, in this year's Oscars? They left out Batman in the In Memoriam. Adam West, who died, passed away this year, was not featured in the In Memoriam. He's a guy who is famous for showing up in the 1960s and playing Batman in the 60s original show on ABC. In recent years, he's done great things for the city of Quahog, Rhode Island, as (laughs) Mayor Adam West on the show Family Guy. He also plays a fictionalized version of himself on The Simpsons. He literally, along with Glenn Campbell, were both left out of the In Memoriam. Did the Academy say anything about why that would have happened? Uh, I just think, you know, there's a lot of people that are worthy of, wow. you know, being mentioned, and they were just left out, but I know a lot of people were not happy about that. Yeah, all right. I, I didn't even realize that. That is quite a shock, though, because he's so well-known. And then the last thing that I just had a gripe with, I wasn't feeling the part where Jimmy Kimmel was talking to his younger self. Uh, the kid came out, and he was like, I wish my nine-year-old self was here. The kid's comedic timing just felt off. <laughs> He's nine. You know? Well, yeah, but we see child actors right, nominated right. for Academy Awards. We see them do great things all the right. time. It just felt forced, and he's also yeah. ripping on how Jimmy Kimmel looks. Jimmy Kimmel's a pretty handsome guy. It just sort of felt like forced comedy. Yeah, and I think, you know, some would say maybe the surprise in the theater was a little forced, trying to do little gimmicky things that dragged out the the show. These are the things that I don't think we need in the show. We can make it shorter with this kind of stuff. Fair enough. Overall, though, it was a decent show. Okay, so last year, obviously, this was coming off of the heels of President Trump's win. It's no secret, Hollywood is not a fan of President Trump. And last year, they were very aggressive in their criticism of him. Champ, we were talking about it. You made an interesting point. This year, it seemed as though the theme was a little bit more of what can we do, what steps can we take, what action can we take to make the world a better place, and it wasn't as critical of those maybe holding different beliefs. Uh, We had, obviously, Time's Up. There were several people wearing Time's Up pins, the Me Too movement. What did you guys think of of that? Because it was... 
it was a stark contrast. I think it was a lot better. I think, you know, you can bash Trump all you want. They obviously have a strong dislike for him in general in Hollywood. But I think that the way that they did it this year was a lot better. They focused on their power and the platforms that they have as Hollywood actors and are focusing on how they can fix the problem, how they can make the solution better, rather than just piling on someone who they feel aren't doing things in the right way. Right. And to me, that's a lot more constructive. Instead yeah. of shutting up and dribbling. It's empowering. I don't know. I don't like to get into the whole political thing. Like, yeah, I mean, and, it's, and some people don't. And yeah, that's why I think it's, it's, uh, that's why I think you see the viewership because I read somewhere that the viewership was at the lowest point it's been in years. And mm -hmm. I think twofold, maybe people don't want to hear about politics. And also, to Champ's point, it's so long. Right. So I, I overall, I enjoyed it. It sounds like you guys did too. Mm -hmm. Less, less and less Americans are they're tuning in. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the years to Sometimes come. Sometimes less is more. All right, now we're moving on to our next segment. This one is called Throwback Theater. So in this segment, we're picking two films from a specific year, one we really enjoyed and would recommend, and then one we also thought was a major disappointment. And in this case, for this episode, we picked films that are now a decade old, so we're talking about movies from the year 2008. Man, time flies when you're watching movies. So Champ, what about you? What's a film from 2008 that you really loved, you really would recommend it? So I, I tried to go a little bit, you know, off the books here, one that maybe people might have forgotten about. I picked uh, a movie called Changeling, which was directed by Clint Eastwood and stars Angelina Jolie, a performance that she was nominated for uh, Best uh, Actress in a Leading Role for. I think it's probably her best performance of her career. She plays a mother in 1920s Los Angeles who is a single mother and has uh, her son suddenly disappears. He goes missing. And basically the film plays out with her having a sort of battle um, with the corrupt Los Angeles Police Department, who essentially finds her son and tries to give it back to her. Um, but the problem is, it's not her son. She instantly knows that the kid is not her son. She knows this isn't the person that she's lived with and, and uh, you know, birthed. Um, so the rest of the story plays out with her going to war with the Los Angeles Police Department. Basically, the L.A. police and all the, all the powers that be are trying to discredit her, say she's crazy, she's insane. What I think is interesting about her performance is that it, she, in this is based on a true story, I should say, it puts her in a spot where like she becomes a person, uh, a crusader, and someone that uh, women and, and underprivileged people in Los Angeles sort of start looking to because she's taking on the police. And her performance is great because you can tell that she's clearly uncomfortable in this role. Yeah. She just wants to live her life with her son, but because the L.A. Police Department is not acknowledging her struggle, she sort of gets drawn out. It has a lot of themes of like child endangerment, female disempowerment, uh, sort of political corruption. Um, and it's interesting because the LAPD, of course, would have similar problems years later in the 90s with sort of the, the Rodney King stuff and the O.J. Simpson trial. Other than Jolie's performance, which is really, you know, the thing that drives the film, this was also nominated for production design and cinematography. I think the look of 1920s Los Angeles is really great. It really puts you in the, in the time period that's going on. Eastwood's direction is great. Um, but that's Changeling from uh, 2008. Yeah, what I think is interesting about it, too, is is at one point you're wondering, and the film makes you question whether or not she's just gone crazy, whether or not she's just insane, and, and everyone's telling her, no, this is your son. Why can't you recognize this is your son? And she refuses to accept it. Obviously, as viewers, we can see the difference in the two children, but 
really interesting film. Yeah, it, and it's absolutely heartbreaking. Some of the scenes in this movie have actually stuck with me ten years later. I, I still can't get them out of my head. So it's uh, it's not a movie for the you know the faint of heart. There's definitely some heavy stuff involved with this movie. Obviously, we're talking about a kid that disappears. Um, so, but a, a good movie and one that really showcases how good of an actress Angelina Jolie can be. Well, Sam, we've already heard you talk about this movie in previous episodes, so we'll, let's oh, just yeah. get right to it. This is obviously your favorite movie of the entire year, 2008. Oh, absolutely, and that's going to be Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight. Have to, Christian Bale, Michael Caine, Heath Ledger, Gary Oldman, can't forget Morgan Freeman. They're all in this film. Heath Ledger ran away with you know some awards as Best Supporting Actor. I think one of the greatest villainous roles ever played, the Joker, bar none. Stole the show for me. He kind of stole the show for the whole movie. Like, the whole movie almost kind of circles around the Joker. But I think it was just because of how powerful of a role it was, how well he did. Um, he played the role, how he made the Joker feel like this humorous, psychopathic kind of like, he's just crazy. He's yeah. absolutely bar none crazy. There was a lot made of his mental state. After oh, yeah. Obviously, we all know he passed away. Yep. He actually won the Academy Award posthumously for his performance after his death. And uh, many people wondered if getting prepared for that role is what drove him insane. Well, we, we talked about in our uh, Black Panther review that a hero is only as good as the villain. And yeah. Christian Bale is a good Batman. I don't know if he's the, a great Batman, but Ledger really provides him with a great adversary in this movie. One other thing that I think is great about that movie that sort of separates it in the comic book genre is the tone that Christopher Nolan took. He sort of went more with a real... Uh, sort of gritty, less of a comic book style and more of a real world setting it. And I think that's really why people responded. Yo, absolutely. And it really brought Gotham to life too, to kind of get your feel inside of what Gotham really is and how powerful or like how much power the bad guys necessarily have and what the Batman really needs to do to support Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon. The Dark Knight was nominated for eight Academy Awards, so um, they only won two. Heath Ledger, obviously, Best Supporting Actor, and then Best Sound Editing. Cool film, obviously my favorite. Easily one of the best superhero films of all time. Yeah, absolutely. The Dark Knight, very well known. My pick for 2008, also a very well-known and well-loved film, Slumdog Millionaire. So this was the best picture from 08, guys, directed by Danny Boyle. The star of the film is Dev Patel, who's kept up success. You know him from Lion, which was released a couple years ago. And this story essentially is about a, a Mumbai teenager uh, who lives in the slums. That's why they call him a slum dog. And he goes on the Indian version of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And what's so cool about this film is it starts with him on the show as a part of the show and then we learn about his life through various flashbacks as he's asked certain questions so his life experiences actually allow him to come up with the right answer for these questions they're easy at first and become more and more difficult and some of these questions everybody's wondering you know hey this is a slum dog how does he know the answers to these questions and it just so happens that his life and the experiences he's had give him the answers it's a great story about destiny. That's really the theme is, is, is what's your destiny. And it's also a love story, of course. I thought this was an amazing film. The pace of mm -hmm. it was incredible. It's fast-paced. It's fun. You see his life as a kid, how he lived. Um, and then you see him grow up to be the teenager that he is today. I'm sure both of you have seen it and both loved it as well. Oh, yeah. I don't know yeah. that many people who didn't love this movie uh, won eight Oscars. Uh, the way that it's shot sort of in the slums, chasing these kids around, really puts you in what it would feel like to be in this sort of uh, downtrodden, poverty-stricken area. 
we we hear a question moves to this we hear a question moves to this and it just like the way it was filmed i really thought it was unique and it was different i was a big who wants to be a millionaire fan yeah. growing up Absolutely. so it was kind of see a movie tied into that with such like a big impact like you know i think that was sort of a good the fact that it was who wants to be a millionaire was a good way to get maybe american audiences yeah. who aren't interested in bollywood and sort of indian films it was a good sort of Way to get their interest peaked. Well, that's a know? good point because Indian films. How often do we see them win Best Picture? I mean, it was groundbreaking mm -hmm. when it when it had yep. the success it did. So that was my pick. All right, guys. Now we're going to talk about 2008 films. You know, your worst of the year. Maybe they were just a huge disappointment. You had high hopes and it let you down. Champ, let's start with you here. Mine, it pains me to say, but it's Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, I need to preface this by saying I am a massive Indiana Jones fan. I've seen the original trilogy many, many times. Indiana Jones was quite honestly one of my idols growing up for a while. I was like, I want to be an archaeologist because I thought it was... I was going to do what Indiana Jones yeah. was doing. I, I thought it, I loved everything about this series. Um, so when Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was announced and it was coming out, uh, it was a long time coming with George Lucas, Steven Spielberg on board, Harrison Ford was on board. Uh, it had been since 1989 since Last Crusade had come out. Wow. So uh, this was a long time coming. So maybe my expectations were just built up through the roof. Every time I watch this movie, it lets me down. It's it's underwhelming. Uh, most of it has to do with the climax of the film, and I'm not going to give it away even though it's an older film. It just sort of, to me, felt out of place and odd within the Indiana Jones lore. You know, I think most Indiana Jones movies sort of rely on stunts and action set pieces and sort of like exciting exotic locations. And this one just sort of felt like it didn't fit. There was an overuse of CGI, I felt. Um, I liked how the film sort of tried to stay true to how the original uh, movies were shot. And it, it does try and, you know, bring back that magic that we felt over the time. I do think some of the action set pieces are cool. There's there's a chase through the jungle on Jeeps and um, there's a, a motorcycle chase that is cool. I think it's well shot and well made. Um, and I like that it's made in the sort of spirit of the original movies. But the climax really lets me down. Apparently they're making another one in 2020. Oh boy. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to that and I'm hoping they can bounce back a little bit more. Some people liked this movie. I just felt like it wasn't enough for me. And like I said, I think maybe my expectations were yeah. super high. That but. can play a big role. If you're, I mean, if this movie, you know, obviously it had been 19 years since the prior was released, I'm sure you're not the only person who had high expectations and who were let down. Sam, how about you? What was your worst of 2008 or something you just thought was a big disappointment? I'm going to have to go with The Happening, starring Mark Wahlberg, or, uh, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. It was a $48 million pro production budget. It grossed over $163 million. So a lot of people had high hopes for this movie. That's M. Night Shyamalan. He's, yeah. A lot of people are interested. He's a big name. Yep. Ever since The Sixth Sense. Exactly. Which is kind of ironic. Donnie Wahlberg was Sixth Sense, and he actually had to work with Mark Wahlberg in The Happening. This was a film that I bought before I watched it. So I own this movie oh, no. because I had such high hopes for it. Yeah. It was such a, a unique idea, a horror movie when this plague starts to take over and people just start committing suicide. Like you see people, like one scene that sticks right out to me is a guy gets ran over by a lawnmower. By his own lawnmower. Yeah, by his own lawnmower. So he lays down in front of the lawnmower. And long story short, they thought it was a bioterrorist attack or whatever. Um, something put into the air. M. Night became known for The Sixth Sense, and, and he's also known for every film after that being a disappointment, and he's also known for massive twists, and Sam didn't reveal the twist, 
But the twist, and we won't give that away, is one of the reasons why this was so poorly received. Because right. it's just absurd. Classic case of a good setup and terrible delivery. This film absolutely murdered it for me. It was absolutely terrible. I, I might have even thrown the DVD away. It doesn't even get on or on my shelf of movies, I'm pretty sure. I will right. say M. Night's latest film, Split, was pretty well received. You're right. You're right. That was a good movie. And he hadn't had many good films prior to that. So I agree, Split was good. All right, mine, guys, uh, this is called 10,000 B.C. This was just a terrible film. I actually went through and looked at the films I'd rated in 08, and this was the worst. It was my lowest of low. I had to go back and, and take another look, kind of refresh myself with the film because it was so bad. I had a hard time, quite frankly, remembering the film. It made zero impression on me. So basically, it's a prehistoric epic. It follows a young mammoth hunter who's journeying... Uh, to secure the future of his tribe. A relatively big budget here. It was made, it cost a little more than $100 million, and it did quite well, almost $300 million at the box office. Uh, but, Champ, I think uh, what you said about uh, Indiana Jones, this shares some of the, 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 the downfall. And it's that this was a very visual movie. It was visually impressive. If you watch the trailer, you're going to think, wow, this is going to be awesome. But... There was no substance to it. The plot was lacking. There was no, you know, the screenplay was poorly put together. And it goes to show that no matter how many cool visuals and explosions and CGI you might have put into a movie, if you don't have a plot or there's a story that's not compelling, sometimes it's really tough for people to get in, into it. And I think that's what happened here. And what's more is some have said that it was also historically inaccurate. So, did you guys see 10,000 B.C.? I, I remember seeing it with my dad, and you talk about the visuals. Honestly, some of the CGI in this movie wasn't even great. I specifically remember a, a scene when there's, like, a herd of mammoths running down a pyramid, and they're all sort of tumbling over each other, and they looked like rubber chickens. They literally oh, they looked terrible. That. And, yeah, like you said, the historical inaccuracy. This is 10,000 B.C. There weren't these big civilizations running around, yeah. you know? It's, it's almost to the point where, yes, we're watching a movie, we're supposed to suspend our belief a little bit but to believe that people with sticks and stones were out here you know doing this in this time period is just unrealistic to even sell us on in a movie so before we wrap up throwback theater obviously we gave you three films that you probably have already seen um and three you don't need to see but if <laughs> if there's more that you'd like to check out champ well, you've got the, the the big oscar winners from 2008 pulled up right now yeah just quickly to review like we said best picture was slumdog millionaire danny boyle won best director for slumdog millionaire uh sean penn won uh best actor for his portrayal of uh, harvey milk in the movie milk yeah. it's an excellent film kate winslet in the reader uh, Sam, like you said, Heath Ledger as the Joker in The Dark Knight picked up the Best Supporting Actor uh, posthumously, and Penelope Cruz and Vicky Cristina Barcelona won Best Supporting Actress Day. And there you have it. There's our recap of films from the year 2008. So next up, our featured review on this Thursday, the 7th of March. Today we're talking about the hit comedy Game Night. Max is very competitive, as am I. It's one of the reasons I fell in love with him. Oh, this is easy. He was an Incredible Hulk. Eric Bana. Other one. Mark Ruffalo. Other one. Lou Ferrigno. Primal Fear. Richard Gere never played the Incredible Hulk. Time. Jesus Christ. Ed Norton. Oh, oh Primal no, Fear. Guys, what do you say we do this at my house next week? This will be a game night to remember. Oh, boy. Mm. Tonight, we're taking game night up a notch. 
We don't need a board, and we do not need pieces. We won't need any extra rudeness, either. Someone in this room is going to be taken. Oh, it's a murder mystery party. Fun! Whoever finds the victim wins the grand prize. The keys to the stingray. Just the keys? No, Ryan, the whole car. Oh, yes! Okay, guys, so this was released just a couple weeks ago. This is directed by John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. Champ, you said that they were a part of the Vacation reboot, but other than that, they haven't done a whole lot. But there are some big uh, names in this. It stars Jason Bateman. He plays Max, and also Rachel McAdams, who plays his wife, Annie. Also, Kyle Chandler and Jesse Plemons, both known for their roles on Friday Night Lights. They're in this film as well. And also, Michael C. Hall, makes a late appearance, you'll know him from the lead in Dexter. So we're going to start out with our spoiler-free review. Here's the plot on IMDb. A group of friends who meet regularly for game nights find themselves trying to solve a murder mystery. I mean, that's pretty much it. Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams play Max and Annie. They're, they met at a trivia night in a bar, and they're both super interested in games, super competitive. They both share that. Um, so basically, like a lot of people do, or at least people used to do. They have uh, game nights every Friday with their friends. They come over, they play various games, charades, Pictionary, Scrabble, Monopoly, the game of life. One night, uh, Max's brother Brooks, played by Kyle Chandler, shows up, decides they're going to spice it up a little bit. He, he explains that it's going to be a sort of murder mystery. Someone's going to take him. Kind of like Clue. Yeah, sort of, basically. Yeah. Someone comes in and they're going to take him, and whoever can figure <clears throat> out where he is uh, wins. That goes all horribly wrong when everything ends up being real. This is a sort of concept we've seen before. Um, recently, actually, in a 2008 movie that I love a lot, Tropic Thunder, it came to mind when I was thinking of this. Because in that movie, the stars think they're filming a war film in Vietnam. But what ends up happening is Ben Stiller, the lead, actually gets abducted by drug smugglers. And it's they start getting tracked by drug smugglers and it ends up all being real. So it's a sort of a, a concept that we've heard before. But what I think is interesting is it, we figure out pretty early on, you know, uh, what's going on here. They don't really play on that very long. And no, I think it goes, it goes to some interesting places after that, I think. Yeah, I agree. Uh, they don't. You're right. That's a good point. They don't hang on that for that long. You realize pretty early on that... Um, and they realize, the characters realize pretty early on that, whoa, we're not actually in a game here. There's some real business going on. Mm -hmm. Sam, what did you think about this? I definitely thought it was a very well put together movie. It was a cool concept. I mean, who doesn't like to participate in a little murder mystery? <laughs> Spice it up a little bit. Um, definitely a concept I would be into. Very... Uh, Sam, just to save you here so we don't get arrested, who likes to participate in a little murder mystery party? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. I didn't want to incriminate myself. For clarity, Sam is not a murderer. But you liked it, Sam. You enjoyed it. Jason Bateman always, you know, he always cracks me up no matter what. Just the humor he kind of shows, the little, the look he gives you, like, uh, all right, honey, yeah, um, no, never mind. But, you know, just like that kind of simple, dry humor. You like Jason Bateman. I think the key to the movie Absolutely. is Jesse Plemons. Yeah. I mean, this guy, he plays sort of the, the strange next-door neighbor who, you know, stroking his dog Bastion and saying everything in sort of like a strange, pragmatic vernacular. Um, he made me laugh more than anyone. Absolutely. I agree. Yeah. He really is the winner of this film. He stole the show. Just oh, yeah. his dry humor, as you said, his character was <laughs> fantastic. And, you know, here, here here's what I thought generally about the movie. You know, I think that you know, really good comedies, the ones that you really love, I think that they have depth to them, a little more depth, and I think that they sometimes have a heart to them, and you have characters that you really care about, and it's still funny, you're laughing a lot, but you 
really care about the characters. And I guess I laughed a lot, don't get me wrong, but I just feel like there wasn't a lot of depth there. There wasn't hardly any plot beyond just the game. And it was funny, but that's, for me, what kind of prevented it from being better. Yeah, it's a good, not great comedy. I wouldn't say it's on the level of like things like, you know, Step Brothers or Superbad or Old School. Well, or how many one-liners did you take from it? You know, there's, there's a few that I think are funny, but I don't think this film, you know, as a comedy is going to stand the test of time. You know, like some of those movies I just mentioned. Uh, I do think there's some effective use of slapstick humor in this movie, yeah. which is kind of hard to execute these days. You know, I feel like back in the, the 60s and 70s with like, you know, the Three Stooges and sort of stuff like that. Like watching someone just get in the, hit in the face or something. People thought that was funny. Now we sort of rely more on like dialogue and witty sort of, uh, you know, making fun of current events and what. Yeah. And I think this movie does a good job uh, balancing, you know, funny physical humor with sort of that clever dialogue. Yeah, no, I think that's a good way to describe it. I think we all kind of felt like it was good, but not great. Yeah, I mean, there's just, like you said, there's not a whole lot there outside of the game. I think they try and do a little bit of, you know, exploration of family. And, of course, game nights are something that brings families together. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe they're trying to play on that theme a little bit. But I, yeah. I do agree that, really, I think this movie is just one that's just trying to make us laugh. Don't you guys feel like for a comedy to be ranked among your favorites, it really almost has to do more? I just find myself wanting a little bit more, and I, I look through all of my favorite films and my highest-rated films, and you don't see a lot of comedies. I don't know if you guys share that same belief. I just mentioned, you know, Step Brothers is, is ranked pretty high yeah. up there. Uh, Super Bad is up there. Tropic yeah. Thunder, I just mentioned. Sure. those. I think I gave those eights, which is as high as I think I'm ever going to give a comedy. I had um, Knocked Up and 40-Year-Old Version and Anchorman. Yeah, so, I mean, it does take a lot to make a, a, a transcending comedy, I do Agreed. think, because everyone can get a few funny lines, but it's hard to actually take it to the next level. Horrible Bosses was even, I think, a lot funny, or more funny than... And Game Night, and that's one with well, Jason Bateman as well. Well, actually, Horrible Bosses, uh, some of the producers uh, helped make this movie, make yeah. Game Night, so that's probably why you see some parallels there. This is a great, not even just about comedies or this movie specifically, but I think it's particularly troublesome in comedies is the trailer just gave away too much. A lot of the funniest oh. parts of this movie, they don't pack a punch because you've already seen it. They would be You're hilarious right. if we hadn't been exposed to it yet, but because we've seen the trailers, that this is what happens. It, it makes it not as funny, and that's a problem particularly in comedy, I think, when delivery is so important. Yeah, so here's what we're going to do now. We're going to get to our spoilers for this film, and then ultimately we are going to give it our rating. If you haven't seen it and you want to see it, um, click out and then jump back in at the end of the podcast. So guys, what we learn here is that uh, Max's brother, who comes in and he tries to plan this huge game night with the murder mystery, he's actually a criminal who smuggles expensive goods in and out of the United States. I'm made to believe that he was a big, successful, yep. you know, the better brother. Everyone looks up to Brooks. Yeah, so that's why there actually are criminals who abduct him. But then we learn that the criminals who first abducted him were actually part of a game put on by our favorite cop, Gary. Do you guys feel like it became a little convoluted? Like, I mean, it's not complicated, but it's just like, wait, okay, this is, where are we at? Here? Well, well at the very one of the very last lines in the movie is when they're, after this showdown on the plane, and uh, Michael C. Hall, Dexter, has showed up as the actual bad guy that, that even villain. Gary didn't know about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, 
one of the last lines, Kyle Chandler's Brooks tries to go, all right, Trevor, you can get up now, trying to be like, oh, is this a, a three, three over uh, game? We find out that, yeah. no, he was just joking. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I thought it was funny. I liked the twist with Gary. You yeah. knew that he was going to be integral to the plot somehow here. Because you know? he, yeah, he was always, he was always standing there, like you said, very awkward, always intrigued on the game night. Oh, oh yeah. Well, so basically what we have is we have the fake criminals who are part of the murder mystery. We have Gary's criminals who are Actually, felons. felons, yeah. felons that he recruits. And then there are actually the criminals. The final showdown on the plane got a little crazy for me. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, you're, it's kind of this weird point where you get to the point where, you know, there's a human being who goes through a, a plane engine and is just obliterated. It just becomes, the tone of it becomes a little bit strange. Mm. I thought it could have definitely ended on the bridge before we meet the Bulgarian. But if you watch the trailer, which I have in here, my biggest spoiler alert is that the trailer spoils the whole film. Yeah. You didn't you didn't see the last plane scene, and we hadn't seen the plane scene up until after the bridge. We have some good characters here. We, uh, even within the group, Ryan, like this dumb guy who tries, who's their friend that always brings uh, a different bimbo with him every week. <laughs> and because he knows they're going to be playing at uh, Brooks's place. For a, he, a car. I right. Think, he but... decides to bring like a ringer, a smart lady that he works with. Uh, he's played by Billy Magnuson, by the way. Some of the comedy with him, where they basically just played him off as a, a dumbass. Some of it hit, some of it didn't. I love the part when he was bribing the lady and he's oh, slowly sliding like five dollar bills and one dollar bills and the lady's like it doesn't matter how slow you slide it yeah, it's 17 dollars <laughs> yeah. to bribe well and look you know we're we're here laughing about the film going over some of the funny moments so that obviously says something uh what one part in the movie in the middle portion that i thought was really uh well done was when they go to the mansion and they discover that the fight club idea that Ryan was talking about is actually a thing. And when they're going after the egg, I really liked the long continuous shot through the mansion when they were passing it around <laughs> up and down floors and through different rooms yeah. and different characters are moving in and out. It was almost like a continuous long shot. I thought that was really well done to sort of put us within the scene and show us kind of how all these characters were working together and moving. There was, you know, there was a fun movie. I mean, obviously it made us laugh. There were a lot of scenes that we really enjoyed. Uh, you know, Gary's role in the end obviously was a highlight. I think his character in general, as we've already said, provided a ton of laughs. I think they did a really good job of making him creepy. Like, I mean, honestly, he has this shrine of his ex-wife who's left him. What's funny is we think that Gary is just some idiot who doesn't aware of what's going on. But all along, if you think about it, at least part of what's happening, Gary's aware of. He's actually the smartest character in the movie. Yeah. We find out actually in the end credits that he sort of planned this whole thing over yeah. the period of time. He's definitely the best part of the movie. You know, when I when I look at genre films like this, I usually look to see if it transcends the genre. I don't think that this is a movie that really is going to transcend the comedy genre. I don't think it's going to stand the test of time. I think it's well enough. Uh, you know, I think Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams have good chemistry. I think it's funny, this idea of a guy who takes game night way too seriously. Um, and it's an entertaining movie, pretty much through the whole thing yes some of it gets a little ridiculous but at the end of the day i think we've always enjoyed the camaraderie of good friends competing in games of chance and skill i'm gonna go ahead and give it a six how about you sam the movie was relatable to me um you know brotherly brother um little battles in between you know i could never let ryan win that's you know i i so i feel max's you know drive to always win at game night there just wasn't enough there for me i agree with him at six it was funny i did laugh but like i said 
Um, the spoiler alert for me was the trailer. It yeah. absolutely it absolutely killed it for me. No, fair enough. I actually gave it a six as well, guys. So we are universally across the board going with a six here. I kind of I had a hard time. I was thinking six or seven, but ultimately I gave it a six because when I look at this movie and I go back, I just feel like it's going to be like, oh yeah, I saw that. Not, oh, that was awesome. I remembered right. that movie. This was one that sticks out. I just feel like once it's all said and done, it's going to give you, you know, it's going to give you a lot of laughs in the theater, but when it's all said and done, it's not all that memorable. There wasn't a big uproar in the theater either. And that's another thing with comedies that really sticks out to me is, was everyone else crying laughing or was it just me? So there you have it. Six out of ten collectively on the comedy game night from the SDFC. So good, not great comedy. Um, so that's going to wrap up our show on this Wednesday, the 7th of March. But before we let you go, we want to let you know there are a whole lot of ways to get connected with us. Yeah, well, thanks to everyone who's been liking the Facebook page and commenting on everything we've been doing and uh, who interacted with the live video the other night. We're going to be trying to do some more of those here in the future. We're trying to come up with some cool, interesting ideas for that. Um, but uh, as far as social media goes, you can uh, like us on Facebook at uh, Second Day Film Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Second Day Film. Uh, that's all written out. You can email us at secondayfilm at gmail.com. And our website is www.secondayfilm.com. And Sam, you said, hey, word of mouth is sometimes the best way. Absolutely. Tell your friends, yeah. tell your parents, tell your brothers, tell your sisters, <laughs> tell your girlfriends. I, I don't care who you tell. Tell the mailman. There you go. Tell them about the SDFP. We've had a whole lot of fun on these first three episodes, and we'll continue to have a whole lot of fun. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you at the movies. The Second Day Film Podcast was edited and produced by Brandon Champion. Music featured in this episode was recorded and produced by Eric Baer. The opinions expressed in this presentation are those of the individual that spoke. Thanks for listening.